Thank you, Craig. Is everyone here ready to hear another story about Jesus? I think so. The book I'm holding in my hand is the only book in the world that tells that story. And so I'm going to be limited to what I say about Jesus from this book. So what I'll tell you, of course, we have a lot of evidence that that, uh, God exists aside from this book. But right now, let's just talk about this story, the story of Jesus. It is in my mind, and I think in the minds of most people who give it any kind of consideration at all, that it is the most interesting story in the world. And there's two reasons for this. And that is that it involves the two main characters in the story. I'm not sure that that, uh, we, we grasp right away who these two characters are, but let me just start. We know that God is one of the main characters in the book. I think everyone would agree to that. God is one of the main characters in the book. He is the one who drives the story. And yet the book itself is about Jesus. Which leads us to the conclusion that Jesus is God. Now that's, that's the conclusion that we have we come to when we read the book. Matthew chapter 123 is a quotation from Isaiah 7:14 that says, "You shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us." And so when we read the rest of the New Testament, the, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is the gospel, the story of Jesus. But then the rest of the New Testament, Acts through Revelation, are the writings of individuals who knew Jesus and that God was saying, write this about my son. And so one of the things that Paul wrote in in, uh, Colossians chapter 2 at verse 9, he says that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was in the flesh. What that means is everything that constitutes God was in Jesus. He was God incarnate. Sometimes we call it, we use that term. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. He was not less than God. He was not more than God. And that's critical for us. There are, you have, we have to be careful about this in our understanding of the New Testament and of the Bible and how it applies to us and how this story applies to us. There are door knockers who will come, religious folks who will come to your door and try to introduce you to a Jesus that they do not believe is God. They will tell you that this Jesus is an angel. He's just an angel. Maybe he's a, the head angel, but he's just an angel. And they'll try to convince you of that. And there are another group of the same type, not the same people, a different group of people, who will knock on your door and say, well, This Jesus was Adam God. He was like Adam. And their their object is that when you die, if you're a man, if you're a woman, you're, you're kind of left without. But if you're a man and you die faithfully, God will put you on your own earth in your own planet, in your own galaxy and solar system. He he'll he'll give you your planet like he gave Adam his planet. 
Well, what they're saying is that Jesus is not God in the flesh. They're saying that Jesus is like Adam. But the Bible says that Jesus is God. And that's what the story says in the New Testament. He's not an angel. Hebrews chapter 1 says, To which of the angels did God at any time say, Thou art my son? He never did say that to an angel. But he did, he did say that to his son. Jesus told his detractors, as a matter of fact, when they said, Who are you? He said, I am that I am. You know, you know why that's significant? Because in Exodus chapter 3 at verse 14, when we have God talking to Moses, and Moses says, who are you? He's at the burning bush. You remember the story? Kids remember that story. He's at the burning bush and God says, take your shoes off because the ground you stand on is holy ground. Now, I'm not sure why he said that. I've got an idea, a conjecture, but I, and I won't share that really. But he says, Moses is saying, who am I going to tell Pharaoh sent me? And God said, tell him my name. I am that I am. I am the Lord. Now that's the same statement Jesus used in uh, John 8 verse 58. Also in the book of Revelation, one of the writers, John the Apostle wrote, about Jesus, he said, I'm the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He spe- Jesus is speaking. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, who is and was and ever shall be the God Almighty. So he made the claim that he is God. Now because Jesus is God in the flesh, he is in fact the main character in this book. Because he's God. And, and you know, we, we can test that. Did you know that this is the greatest story ever told? The story about Jesus. The absolute greatest story ever told. Without a doubt. And one of the main reasons is because of the main character, Jesus. We mark time by this man. Did you know that? Since about the 6th century of this era... Our calendars have been marked by the birth of the man called Jesus. We used to call it B.C. and A.D. B.C. meant before Christ. A.D. meant after his death. Anno Domini in the year of the Lord. Actually, not after death. But Anno Domini in the year of the Lord. So, B.C. and A.C. And someone came along and said, You know what? We don't want to acknowledge... Because this is going to insult some people. We don't want to acknowledge that this has to do with Jesus. So we're going to call it B.C. B.C.E. It's the same date. B.C.E. means before the common era. Then we'll call it C.E. After the common era. Or in the common era. But you know what? It's still the same date. And you know who marked that date? The man called Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He is, the, he is the greatest name in history. The name of Jesus mentioned anywhere at any time improves humanity. That's the greatest name ever mentioned. We have a lot of other names we can think of, don't we? 
How about Hannibal? That was a great name, huh? How, how about Mussolini? Was that a great name? Or Hitler? Was that a great name? Roosevelt's a great name. But the name of Jesus changes people. The name of Jesus alters your life. That's why this is such a great story. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 says, God has given him a name that is above every name. And there is no doubt that that's true. A name above every name. His name is different than any name you'll ever hear in your whole life. The name of Jesus. And it's the most polarizing name, and he's the most polarizing figure in existence. That means that you can't take one, you can't take a neutral position with him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and it's true, the Bible says, he that is not with me is against me. Well, we live in a society that says, wait a minute, we're, we're a society of compromise. We're going to compromise. We don't have to take that hard position. We're, we're, going, to, we're, going, to, we're going to say, well, we're neither for or against Jesus. But, but the Bible says you can't do that. It reminds me of the story about a fellow politician during the Confederate Civil War. Not the Confederate War, but the Civil War. I say Confederate because I'm from Texas and I usually associate with the Confederacy. I don't associate with the keeping of slaves and so forth. But anyway, that was my background. Anyway, this fellow, the politician, was asked one time, who do you stand for during the war? See, during the Civil War, he says, who do you stand for? He says, well, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm neither a unionist nor a confederate. He said, I, I'm, I'm, I, I have friends in both camps. And so he decided, in order to demonstrate that, he would wear, some days he would wear all blue for the union, and the next day he would wear all great for the Confederacy, and he found out that he was being shot at by both. <laughs> so, I have friends in both camps. Well, with Jesus, there is no, there is no middle ground. We're either for him or we're against him. Now then, let's talk about that second main character in this book. Well, the first thing that pops into a lot of people's minds is Moses. Maybe Moses is the other character. God is the first main character. Who's the other main character? Moses. No, that's, that's not true. Maybe Elijah. Amen. How about John the Baptist? Perhaps he's, he's one of the main characters. Some even think it was Peter or Paul. And so they built great cathedrals to Peter and cathedrals to Paul. But that's not true. You know who the other character is, other main character in this book? It's you. Did you know that? You are the other main character in this book. And that's why you have so much vested in this story. Because you're there. The gospel is unique because when you read it, you see yourself in it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you're reading this book, you're coming face to face with yourself. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says, James says, it's like looking in a mirror. James 1, 22-24. When you look in this book, you're looking in a mirror. Let me give you an illustration. When I was younger, 
than I was younger at one time. When I was younger, Bonnie and I and our kids went on a trip with a bunch of other folks that were really close to it. And we lived in San Francisco area, Bay Area, and we went over the mountains, the Sierra Nevada mountains, and we went over to a place called Mammoth Lakes. Some of you may know about it. Lots of lots of interesting things over there. And we spent a week camping out. Three kids, Bonnie and I, and a bunch of others. And when we're coming back over on Highway 395, before we crossed the mountains and came home, we stopped. The whole gang of us stopped. There must have been 12 or 16 of us. We'd all camped out for a week, and we were grungy. You know how it is when you camp. We didn't camp out in motels like my kids like to do. We, we camped out on the ground. And we didn't have little camp stoves at that time. We had campfires. And we smelled like the campfire, I'm sure. We went to this restaurant to sit down and have a meal before we went back across the mountains and went home. Long tables. And they seated us, tried to seat us all together at this long table. So we sat down, I sat on the outside, and the kids and Bonnie sat on the inside, and a bunch of us sat on the outside. Anyway, I looked down the hall, and I could see another room like this one on the other side of a, a doorway. Oh, well, why, why didn't we go in there more privacy? But they didn't. They put us here. I was wearing an old black western hat, and I looked bad, I'm sure. So I, I keep thinking to myself, why didn't they put us in there? And I leaned back in my chair to look. And there was an old boy in the other room, and he was leaning back and looking at me. <laughs> so I thought, uh-oh. I leaned back forward, and I said, I've tried better mind my, mind my own business. And every time I leaned back to look, he did too. It was a mirror. A mirror in the wall. And I was looking at myself. Well, I didn't recognize myself, but there I was. When you read the Bible, sometimes you don't recognize yourself, but there you are. There you are. You don't recognize yourself because you're probably not what you ought to be. But it's certainly what you should be. You're the reason that Jesus came. You say, me? Moi? Yes, you. He came to get you. He came to bring you home. The Father sent Him to get you. You're the, you're the primary object. The two main characters. God, Jesus, and you. That's why this book is so interesting. Now, He was sent to bring you home, John 3.16, and we read the text on the screen. And also in Luke 19 verse 10 says, He came to seek and to save that which is lost. You're important enough, you are important enough, for God to send His Son. He didn't send an angel to get you. He sent His Son. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send Gabriel. Gabriel was sent to tell Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, that John was coming. In Luke chapter 1 at verse 19. He didn't send Micah who was the archangel. You're more important than the attention of Michael. Michael was sent, Jude verse 9. He was sent to have a dis disputation over the body of Moses, God's servant. But he didn't send Michael after you. He sent his son to get you. To bring you home. 
Now that's why that's why you're interested in this book. That's why this is such a great story. I'm going to give you another illustration. In Matthew chapter 11, 16 through 19, Jesus is talking about the difference between himself and John the Baptist. And in that conversation, he, he says that you're like children playing in the marketplace. Now, he used, he used that illustration, so I'm going to use that illustration. You're like children playing in the, markets, in the marketplace. You just can't get everything right. But, but I used to have a paper route when I was 11 or 12 years old. I lived in a little dusty northwest town in Texas, Cowtown. And even though it was a little town, we had a daily newspaper, the Dalhart Texan. And it was every boy's dream, every little guy's dream, to get a paper route with the Dalhart Texan because there was a camaraderie that existed among all the kids about that age that we could have a paper route and we would deliver papers and make a little money. But the, it wasn't the money that was so much a, uh, an enticement to us. It was the group that we were with. So when I finally got paper route, I was elated. This was great. And I found out pretty quickly that some of the things that we did after we got our papers delivered, we'd, we'd come in from school, maybe 4, 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and we'd get our papers and we'd head out for our routes. After our route, we didn't go home which was usually a mistake. We would get together and have a game of Black Man Blue. Anybody recognize that game? Black Man Blue. It meant that if you tried to go from one side of the field to the other side, there's a whole line of people waiting to try to stop you and they'd beat you black and blue before you got to the other side. That's what we called it. Okay, there were two places where we could play this game. One was on the front lawn of the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church, downtown. There were not too many lawns in Dalhart, Texas. They didn't have a whole lot of water, and they didn't keep lawns green. But this was a big green lawn, and they had lights. So we could play out there under the lights. As it got dark, we could play and play and play. The Baptist got on to us and said, turn the lights off. So... We went over next door to a fellow by the name of Noel McEvers, and he had a field that had a lot of grass in it, just about like it, and we could go there and play. The reason I'm telling you the difference in the different places was that my mother used to work just down the street from the Baptist church, and she could keep track of me. She worked in the little sandwich shop or restaurant, so she knew where I was. When we went to Noel McEvers' place, she had no idea where I was, and neither did my sister which mother would sometimes send to get me. But Pat didn't know where I was either. But there we were by Noel McEvers. And we were playing. And sometimes the older brother would come and get the kid, one of our friends, and take him home, dragging him home screaming, you're not my dad, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not going home and just drag him home. Well, this particular night, it got dark and everybody left and I was left by myself and I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I know this, that after it got dark, moms and dads were calling out for their kids to come home. Come home. And the kids were either saying, later, or they were ignoring the call. Isn't that right? 
I don't want to come home. I'm having fun. I'm not going to come home. Well, when it finally got dark and everybody's gone, I was up by myself and I said, I better go home. And when I got home, my stepfather was waiting up for me on the couch. And that was a disaster. I should have gone home, but I didn't. Now, Jesus calls us to come home. And he calls us through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 He calls us by the gospel. You're out playing. Who does he send to get you? Who did he send to get you and bring you home? He sent his son to get you. He didn't send me to get you. As a matter of fact, God did not send me to tell you to come home. He did not. God sent me to tell you that He said He sent His Son to get you and to bring you home. Romans chapter 10 at verse 14 says, How shall they hear? It's hearing the voice of Jesus. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they, be, how shall they preach except they be sent? So God sent me to preach to tell you about Jesus who came to get you and to bring you home. Now whether you come home or not, and everybody won't come. Everybody will not come home. Matter of fact, the Bible says very clearly in Matthew 20 verse 16, many are called, few are chosen. Everybody's not going to come home. And that's the sad part of it. Now whether you come home with Jesus depends upon whether or not you believe that God sent him to bring you home. Isn't that correct? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you believe that God loves you, that He sent His Son to come get you, then you may want to come home. Now there's some examples in this. There's examples of those who heard and heard the voice of Jesus and said, well, I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming home. Remember, remember Paul, who was named Saul before? He was on his way to Damascus, and he's going to do some damage to the church. In Acts chapter 9 is the account. And on the way, Jesus confronted him. And he struck him blind, and Paul said, Who are you, Lord? Who are you to come tell me to come home? You know, that's what he was saying. Who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus that you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the goads. Who are you to tell me to come home? Just like the kid. Brother or sister comes to get him, bring home. Who are you? Who do you think you are to tell me to come home? That's what Paul said. And it took Paul three days thinking about this before he decided, I better go home. Three days before he reached that conclusion. On another occasion, when Peter was preaching, the first time anybody heard the voice of Jesus calling, saying, Come home. It says that, that they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what they were asking? How do we get home? He's, he's calling us. Where do we go? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You'll be saved. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 says 3,000 of them obeyed. 3,000 of them were baptized. They believed. Now, you may not be ready to come home. 
I would assume that's the case. You're not ready yet. You're not ready to come on. You're having too much fun. It's not dark. You enjoy where you're at. You like the circumstances. You like where you, you like your surroundings. You're not ready to come home. And you know, that's what's intriguing about the call. I've got another text I want you to look at with me in Matthew chapter 24. Because that's what happens. Every time Jesus calls, doesn't mean people jump up and go. They just don't. It doesn't happen that way. Now, we're going we're gonna to sing an invitation song in just a little bit. And you, you have that opportunity. If you want to start your journey today, you can. But maybe you don't. In Matthew 24, verse 36 says, Of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. As in the days of Noah were, so was the coming of the Son of Man. You know what? When Jesus comes to get you, it may not be this morning at Orchard Street. Maybe somewhere else. He says, for as in the days of in the in the uh, days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be sudden. A lot of people take this text and say that's when he's coming again. And going to end the world. And that's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about Him coming to get you. He's coming to get you. When? You say, when, when are you going to come get me, Lord? Look at verse 40. It says, Then shall two be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, you know not what hour your Lord does come. Know this, that if a good man of the house had known what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. You know what may happen? You may be laying in your bed tonight thinking about having heard the voice of Jesus today and trying to go to sleep, and all of a sudden your eyes pop open, wide open, you say, I better, I better go home. That's when Jesus comes to say, come on. You're going to say, I, I better go home. You get up, whoever's in the bed with you, your wife or husband, may just stay there. You're going to get up and come. You may be driving a delivery truck, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, and you may have a passenger with you. You may say, I better go home. You don't know what hour it's going to be. You don't really know. Amen. But when Jesus calls, and you've heard His voice, and you've heard His voice from the Gospel, you've heard Him say, the voice of Jesus, come home. You will or you will not. You could be typing a letter. And you all of a sudden you say, I think I better go home. I think I better get started. I better get going. I better get on my way. You may be looking for a parking place. I'm driving around and thinking, you know what? This, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go home. Well, now, to get started, you have to be baptized. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to stand with Him and confess His name, you need to be baptized. And you say to yourself, well, 
Where am I going to find any water? Now, can you imagine anybody in the state of Washington asking that question? Where am I going to find enough water to be baptized? We used to take them before we had a baptist. We've got a baptistry here. Give me a call tonight if your eyes pop wide open. You say, I need to start for home. Or you're driving around and you say, I, I, I better go. Call me. I'll meet you here. We'll baptize you into Jesus Christ. Okay. When I, was, when I first came up to this country, we didn't have a baptistry. Well, we had one, but it wasn't full. It was over in a little, little building way up on the north end of, of Tacoma. So we would go down to the Sound. You say, well, is it cold down there? And I say, it's 55 degrees year-round. You bet it's cold down there. But we'd go down and wade out in the water, and I'd baptize them. And then we found a young man who was a member of the church. He moved up here from New Mexico. He was in the Navy, if you can imagine, and stationed in Tacoma in the Navy. They did have a boat, a ship down the shipyard Tacoma at that time. He began to teach his fellows, friends, and we began to baptize them. Walking down on 4th Street, down in the water, and we'd baptize them. Then we got a baptistry, filled it with water. And we had a neighbor that the first time I used the baptistry, and it was a hatch underneath the stand, and we opened it up, and underneath there was a baptistry. So let's use that. It must have been. 35 degrees when we baptized this lady and almost lost her. It was cold, but she, she endured. The point is, if you hear Jesus call you, if you hear him, his voice and you say, now's the time, then now's the time. Listen to him and get started. Let's stand together and sing, please.